channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on March 11th, 2021 and is current through Star Trek Discovery Season 3, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are multiple television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is returning guest, Ron Robel. Ron, welcome back to Weekly Trek. Thank you, Alex. I'm very excited to be here today. Great week for Star Trek news. All right, Ron. Well, you know the drill. I want to know something that's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? This Indiegogo campaign for Voyager. Oh my gosh, they are blowing this thing right out of the water. It's incredible how fast... They've raised their almost to $700,000 as we talk right now. Yep, that's mine too. Couldn't be anything else. As the time of recordings, 8.34 on March 11th, the fundraising is now at $695,281. The Voyager documentary has now officially eclipsed fundraising for the Deep Space Nine documentary, whose Indiegogo fundraising campaign topped out at, I think it was somewhere around six fifty. So by the time you're listening to this, which will be next week as far as we are looking from here on Thursday it's almost certainly going to be into the 700s and they don't seem like they're going to stop anytime soon because there are still 20 days left in this fundraiser so plenty of time for them to continue raising money it's crazy they're only a third of the way through it I look at this and I seriously start wondering can they hit a million (laughs) I mean it's most of the fundraising happens so quickly but there's still so much time left if they get those goals up I could totally see this thing going further so yeah and they said this week that there are additional fundraising goals that they have that they have not yet been able to announce because they're still waiting on approval from CBS in order to do so. And I actually have to think that at this point, that is high definition, which is something that they've not talked a lot about publicly. And I did notice that the current stretch goal, the $750,000 stretch goal, which the sort of reason for the goal is listed as the one sheet mosaic movie poster, right? For the other stretch goals, it was like license the Voyager title music, follow up interviews for more in-depth discussions, compose original score for the film where you could say, okay, it's a $100,000 jump and it's to do that for licensing the title theme music. So clearly that money's going towards licensing the title theme music but this one excuse me it's $75,000 but it's not going to cost them $75,000 to make a one sheet mosaic movie poster I have to suspect that they're now at the point where they can't say it publicly because they haven't got approval but maybe they're now starting to raise money to include these HD clips and I fully believe that it's possible that they hit a million dollars especially if they are able to announce that HD goal and encourage a bunch of people to come back 
can give extra money in order to fund the HD if it, you know, let's say if it is going to take them getting to a million in order to be able to do so. And that's very, very exciting. I have to think they must be closed too, because they didn't announce the $750,000 goal. I think they had already raised $700,000. So they were well past that $675,000 goal point. I'm sorry. I think they have to be close. I, I wonder if they were holding off to make some sort of announcement that didn't come in time. At this point, you sort of have to wonder, right? Like you're making a documentary. What's left? I mean, the only thing left, and we know it's really expensive to do it, is to start looking at including HD footage and remastering, you know, the clips that they're planning to include. So I continue to have no doubt that it's coming. I'm sure it's just wrapped up in the approvals process. And it's certainly within the realm of possibility, in my opinion, that the money they're raising right now is actually going directly into that, even if they can't say it yet. I hope so, yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on, and I'm a reporter. Well, our top story this week is that Paramount have appointed a new writer to develop a script for the next Star Trek movie. And no, you don't need to adjust your settings or check the dates on your podcast feed. This is still March 2021 and not March 2017. And yes, Star Trek 4 is still in limbo. Star Trek Discovery writer Kalinda Vasquez is the newest writer to be tapped by J.J. Abrams' production company Bad Robot to develop an original script for a fourth modern Star Trek film. There are no details yet about the story, and don't expect that just because Vasquez worked on Discovery that the film will be set in the prime timeline rather than the Kelvin timeline that has been the home to the last three movies. But the news about Vasquez makes this the fourth attempt to get Star Trek IV off the ground. The first attempt, of course, was the version of the movie that was announced while Beyond was still in theatres that would have seen Chris Hemsworth return as George Kirk. That project had a director selected, S.J. Clarkson, before Hemsworth and Kirk actor Chris Pine backed out of the project over a contract dispute. Then there was the Quentin Tarantino project, rumoured to involve the Kelvin Timeline crew and a trip to Al Capone-era Chicago, which in my opinion sounds terrible, which seemed to lose steam when Tarantino indicated he was moving on. And lastly, Fargo and Legion creator Noah Hawley developed a script last year that looks set to head into production this year until it too fell apart. It has been rumoured that the reason Paramount went cold on the Hawley script, which was purported to feature a new cast, is that it involved a galactic pandemic. And if true, perhaps they made a smart move deciding to move on from it, given everything we've experienced in the last year. So now, Kalinda Vasquez, who scripted the short trek Ask Not and has teleplay credit for Terra Firma Part 2, is on deck. According to Deadline, who originally reported the news, she brought the story to Paramount. And fun fact, Kalinda was named after the character Kalinda from the Star Trek original series episode by any other name. Ron, how are you feeling about Star Trek 4? Do you think the fourth time is a charm? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, I'm excited. I think if there has been a time in the last, gosh, it's been five years since we had a, the last Star Trek film. If there has been a time in the last five years where the people in power would want to produce a film like this, it would be now with Paramount Plus, with the merger. The timing is just right. I just, I hate to get too excited about this because we've been, I feel like we've been here before. But having said that, I think anything that she can come up with is going to be a fantastic story. And I actually, this leads into my theory at the end of the show today, but I have a theory about what the film focus might be. All right. Well, I mean, first of all, mad props to Paramount 
for bringing in a female writer of color in order to pen a script for a Star Trek movie, regardless of whether this is ultimately the script that goes forward to production. We've been burned before. It still is, I think, an exciting move, right? We were set up to have our first female director in the original Star Trek IV, which was S.J. Clarkson. I actually don't recall if we ever found out who wrote the script associated with that project. But the two subsequent projects, the Tarantino project and the Noah Hawley project, right? It's white man central again. So very nice for them to have sort of expanded their view of who should write a Star Trek movie. And we're obviously, you know, wishing all the best of luck to Kalinda in producing and writing a really kick-ass script that hopefully Paramount will say, yes, this is the one, and we'll move forward with actually making into a movie this time. But... We've been here before, right? This is the, we're now in year 17, 18, 19, 20. This is year five of the Star Trek IV saga. And it's almost certainly going into a year six if Kalinda Vasquez is, you know, sort of in the early stages of writing her script right now, right? It's not like they're going to shoot it this summer with a plan for it to come out next summer. It's almost certainly going to be late 2022 at this point. If everything from here on out goes perfectly. And so, you know, we'll continue to kind of cover big developments on Star Trek 4, but I'm also, and this I think counts as a big development, but it's also one of those things where like, I would not recommend people get their hopes up too much on this project, just because this is our fourth iteration of Star Trek 4. People got their hopes up for the Noah Hawley production, for the Tarantino production, for the S.J. Clarkson production, and those three, I think at this point, we can safely say are probably consigned to the trash pile of history of, you know, Star Trek productions that never were, like the God Thing and the IMAX movie and the Birth of the Federation one that they were planning to do after Enterprise was cancelled. So, we'll see, right? And I think what I find really exciting about it is there's so little information in the past we've had these announcements. There's been, you know, it's set in the Kelvin timeline. We're going to do a Kirk story. I like that they're being very vague, which tells me that it might go in a direction that none of us would, would typically think about, um, which is nice. It means there's new energy coming into the films. Yeah, I would like that too. I mean, I, I was really excited about the prospect of the Noah Hawley film not revisiting the Kelvin Timeline cast and not revisiting, you know, sort of not bringing in one of the TV casts either. Like, I think it would be really cool for a Star Trek movie to create some new characters, to do something a bit different and not have it be based in, you know, all of these things that we know really really well. So I, I mean, I don't want to step too much on your theory so we can move on from this, but I, I will say I, I would really like it if they were looking at something original and not necessarily just a fourth entry from the Kelvin Timeline crew. Right. Well, with so many new Star Trek shows on television, and especially given there are now two shows set in the 24th century era of the show, the big question remains, will any characters from previous 24th century shows return? turn, and who will they be? Well, to accomplish that, you need two ingredients. First, a story that would allow the character to return, and second, and perhaps most importantly, interest from the actor in reprising their role. After previously reluctant Star Trek actors Sir Patrick Stewart, Brent Spiner, and Jerry Ryan have made their return to Star Trek, a popular interview question for former series regulars is whether they too might wish to return. Colin Meany, who is on a promotional tour for the Irish crime drama movie Pixie this week, is the latest to have been asked. And his answer? Well, you can hear what he had to say. Is revisiting O'Brien 
in some way, shape or form something that you're interested in? Or is it something that it's from your past? I'm happy it happened. Mm. Um, I think I've, I've always felt like seven years in space it was long enough, you know. Um, I, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, as I get older, you know, you kind of get a bit nostalgic about about um, some of the stuff you've done in the past, and it might, it might be nice to go back and you know. Uh, have a look at it again, but I, I don't. I mean, I don't think of it very often. I mean, I'm a, generally speaking, over the years, I've, I've been. I, I would have been reluctant to to go back to O'Brien. I have to say, but yeah, you know, you never say never. Never say never, he says, but probably not. Meanie was asked a similar question by Comic Book Resources, which Trek Movie reported on, and he also used the Never Say Never line. And while it continues not to sound like Meanie has much interest in a Star Trek return, that was certainly the angle of the Trek Movie article, honestly, from having heard him answer this question in the past, frankly... This is the most open he sounded to the idea since Deep Space Nine went off the air. Traditionally, his answers have been very firm. I did it. It's over. I've moved on. This sounded maybe just a scintilla of a little more openness to the idea of potentially returning to Star Trek in some capacity. So even if that moves the chances from 0% to 2%, honestly, I'll take it even if it puts us a fraction of a percent closer to maybe seeing Chief O'Brien again. Ron, are you a big O'Brien fan? Deep Space Nine is undoubtedly my favorite Star Trek. Um, and who wouldn't want to see more of the most important man in Starfleet history? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to get him back in any way that we can get him. I found his answer to be interesting to, you know, in the past, we've heard from cast members who've been approached by CBS it's either been, I think it was Robert Picardo who came out and was like, oh yes, I've been approached. I can't wait to get back on the show. To Marina Sirtis, who's like, nope, haven't heard anything. And this was the first time where it's like, yeah, I'm interested, basically. Bring it on. I don't know how practical it is or if it'll happen, but I would love to get Chief O'Brien back. He's phenomenal. Yeah, and and the funny thing about those two examples you raised, you know, Bob Picardo saying he's been approached and nothing ever came of it, and Marina Sirtis saying no way, no how, and she was in Picard and in Lower Deck. So, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing about these questions, right? You know, the, in these interviews, we all want to know the answers to the question. But the reality is, if they were coming back, they wouldn't be able to say. And if they're not coming back, then, you know, they just say they're not coming back. But honestly, that's what you say if you are coming back too. So we'll see. Do I think there's a chance that Colin Meany's coming back as Chief O'Brien? Probably not. But it is super interesting. I mean, he's, he definitely, you know, just in, in those comments that he made... There is much more of a wistfulness and nostalgia about it now, I think, for him than in the past when he was just very much more businesslike and professional about it, saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And the fact that his character kind of made that appearance in Lower Decks, it's kind of when you look at John Delancey, he reprised the role of Q. And we kind of lose fact of that because it was such a quick clip that I could very easily see that being a situation where Chief O'Brien comes back, probably in Lower Decks and has maybe one or two or two lines. Um, but if it's both by Palmini, we're getting that character back. So so it's, it opens the door to a lot of those possibilities where we, they might not be a regular, have more than a quick scene, but they'll be there. I love the little Delancey cameo in Lower Decks. I thought that was great. I actually got a little sticker that someone on Etsy was selling, which is Delancey. It's sort of the, you know, the Lower Decks.
Netflix version, and uh, <laughs> I think it's great. Obviously, I love the Riker and Troy cameo, but I'm a massive Q fan, so that was a huge thrill for me. I love it. And it makes sense. It'd be so easy to get him in there. Any of these legacy stars, I expected that we would have seen more of that in Lower Decks. Um, I think you and I, I think I was on the show right before Lower Decks came out, and I said, that was my theory, that we were going to get so many cameos, and we only really got a couple. <laughs> they were great, but I really want more of that in Lower Decks. They were very, very judicious about it in the end. Have you been COVID vaccinated and starting to think about a return to some pre-pandemic activities this summer? Well, we just listened to President Biden give a speech saying that he expected that by May 1st, every state would make all adults in the state eligible to get their COVID vaccination and sort of put a pin in July 4th as a time when Americans would start to gather back together for barbecues, and to start having a good time socially. Well, the Star Trek tour in Ticonderoga, New York might have just the event for you. On July 23rd, the tour will be hosting a 90th birthday celebration for William Shatner, featuring Mr. Shatner himself. Tickets just went on sale for the event, which will feature all the typical COVID restrictions, including masks and social distancing, and provide you a number of opportunities to interact with the Star Trek grandee. A VIP ticket, which includes access to the 90th birthday birthday dinner celebration, a tour of the sets with Mr. Shatner, a bridge chat, a photo, and an autograph is yours for the low, low price of $1,500. But if that's a bit steep for your wallet, and I would imagine that is true for many fans, general admission tickets start at $50, and a photo and autograph tickets for Shatner can also be purchased separately. Ron, I think I saw on Twitter you said you had recently visited the Star Trek tour. What did you think? I did. I was up there last weekend for the first time, and it is amazing. <laughs> it's absolutely had been up there? I have, yes, several times. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to go. So I live in Maine right now and I drove it was a seven hour ride and you get there and it's literally in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Um, and then all of a sudden there's this sign for Star Trek the original series set tour. It's the detail is so incredible. And I thought they had made this announcement already. Um, my tour guide had mentioned that Shatner was coming back for his 90th birthday. Um, and they it, it's incredible. And, and he commented several times throughout the tour how when, when William Shatner's here, he points this out, he points that out, he broke a panel on one of the walls. <laughs> 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 when he hit those buttons, he hit them really hard and they were talking about the bridge set and how it's going to be very different this time in the past when he's gone up there they've packed that bridge full of people um and now with covid they have to be very socially distanced but man that set tour is amazing and i would love to do that tour with captain kirk himself that would be an incredible experience makes that fifteen hundred dollars really not look that bad yeah i mean i think they're planning you know a relatively small event right stlv this is not i mean the star trek tour itself is not a big venue. They tend to use the local high school for sort of spillover stuff. Like when I went up there for it was it Shatner was there and Anson Mount was there. This was actually was filming season two of Discovery at the time. He sort of came right from the set to Ticonderoga to do this day of sort of pictures and autographs alongside Shatner. And they so yeah, so they use the high school, but I can see them being able to do this in, you know, quite a small, intimate, COVID safe way and not have it be a complete nightmare. The sets, though, are just incredible. And honestly, from a sort of COVID restrictions point of view, right, like Shatner's going to be there. They were supposed to do this event or a similar event last year that there was going to be a, a Shatner visit to the tour in 2020, but obviously they canceled that because of COVID. And, you know, this is sort of both the makeup 
event and also it's a belated 90th birthday celebration for Mr. Shatner. But I mean, I think it's your real opportunity if you are a big Shatner fan. And obviously I know there are people who don't love him and there are all kinds of very good reasons why people don't love him because he is a very acerbic, opinionated and now quite elderly man. But if you are a Shatner fan, like I think this is your opportunity to get not up close and personal because, you know, COVID got to keep a six feet distance. But I think it does provide you, you know, that kind of small group opportunity to interact with him. And my guess is the prices reflect the fact that it's probably going to be a relatively small group who end up interacting with him at the birthday dinner celebration, for example. Oh, I'm sure. And the pricing, I think, was the 1500 for the VIP package. And the next step down from that is the tour where they walk you through and show you the whole sets. And that is $500 on its own. So at that price, there's not going to be a lot of people. I also found it interesting. This is basically two weeks before the 55-year mission tour in Vegas. So it's. I think there won't necessarily be a lot of people who can take the time to do both. So it'll be an interesting crossover. Yeah, it will be. And I, and I think if, you know, if you're somebody who wants to do a Star Trek event this summer, but maybe you're a bit uncomfortable with the idea of going to Vegas, assuming it goes ahead, because, you know, Vegas typically draws a few thousand fans. My guess is this event will draw 100 at most. Maybe you might think about going up to Ticonderoga instead. You get to meet William Shatner. You get to tour just the most fantastic recreation of the original USS Enterprise you will ever have the opportunity to walk around and sort of get that sort of mini convention experience, which I think, you know, for a lot of people, maybe even for me, might be a good kind of, you know, teaser back into some of these bigger events like STLV, when and if it happens. Well, and it was one of those things going up there, if, you, if listeners haven't been, go. <laughs> it was so nice to put Star Trek t-shirts back on for the weekend and just the detail on these sets. They take their time. They do a, it's like a $40 tour photographer comes with you and you can take your mask off for pictures throughout the sets. And the one-on-one interaction with that tour guide there is so much detail and love that went into these sets it's a must see for anyone as a tra- an original series fan and lastly this week eagle moss are continuing to ramp up their new ship announcements after a lull during the fall and winter with several exciting new models on the way in june that are not part of the star trek universe starships collection which we've reported on the upcoming releases for in the last couple of weeks first up they will be releasing the popular nebula class starship in the larger xl format. This roughly 7 inch by 7 inch ship will retail for $75. And perhaps my favourite of the announcements, we have our third space station release in the medium special size release format Subspace Relay Station 47 from, yes, the infamous Aquiel from the Next Generation 6th season will be entering the collection. The station design presented here as it was seen in Aquiel also appeared in the neutral zone. It was the sort of cryogenic satellite that the humans from 1980s Earth had been, you know, sort of launched into space in. Uh, And you can add that model to your collection for $50. And for Star Trek Online fans, the June ship will be the Yorktown-class refit of the Enterprise F, making this the third Enterprise F model produced by Eagle Moss to date. Ron, do you think you'll be picking up any of these releases? I wish. I wish I had the space. (laughs) 
these the XL ships are, are incredible on their own. Even this, the station from Aquiel, horrible episode of Star Trek, but the station itself is beautiful. So yeah, I wish I had the space for them. I would be snagging that W class ship in a heartbeat. How about you? You have the subscription, don't you? I have the subscription to, well, now just the subscription to what is about to be the Star Trek Universe collection. The XLs and the specials I pick up separately because I don't I buy probably nine out of ten, but there's <laughs> there have been a couple that I have taken a pass on. These two, though, the Nebula XL and Subspace Relay Station 47, I'm definitely picking up these two, especially the station. Like, I I love that sort of Starfleet ephemera type style. And so this is right in my wheelhouse. I'm definitely getting that one. And the Nebula is a beautiful ship. And I mean, I know there are the Nebula XL is based on the CGI model that was created for the later seasons of Deep Space Nine and also appeared in Voyager, which is not identical to the studio model version of the Nebula class that appeared in The Next Generation. The big differences are, even though it's clearly a galaxy saucer shape. On the studio model, there are fewer windows to imply that it's a smaller ship. On the CGI version, which I'm told was put together quite quickly for episode purposes, they just use the Galaxy Class saucer. So it's got all the same windows as a Galaxy Class ship does. So I know there are lots of people who are who are not super thrilled about that. They would prefer a model that matched the studio model because that's sort of the most iconic appearance of the Nebula. But I still think it's a really cool ship and I'm definitely going to pick it up. It's fun. These XF models are beautiful too. I started my collection. I have limited space, but I started with the, the regular ship line. And then so I'm going to get one of the XL. So I got the XL Deep Space Nine model. And then so I'm going to start replacing the ones that I have with the XL versions because the <laughs> details, they're just, they're incredibly so detailed. I love these ships. Um, every year in Vegas, they have that big display and I just, I wish I had the space for them. <laughs> oh yes, I hear ya. Well, we've talked about the facts and now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, I and my guest give you a wish or theory when nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So, Ron, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. So, like I said initially, the uh, my theory is kind of far-fetched, but I'm going to go with it. I love far-fetched theories. Let's do it. The fourth Star Trek movie. So, based on the fact that the writer that's been chosen, she did some work on Terraform Part 2. Based on the fact that the Section 31 movie was announced, but really hasn't, we haven't heard a lot from it. My theory is that if you have Michelle Yao, you put her in a movie. (laughs) I love this. Tell me more. Let's do it. I want to see a Section 31, potentially mirror universe tie-in movie. These are all elements of Star Trek that have such a broad appeal. And I view the movies right now as really the strongest way to bring mainstream people into the the Trek fandom. And if you can give me a high-budget movie with Michelle Yao, Section 31... People are going to see it and they're going to love it. I love that theory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very interesting. I have no basis, but she did the Terraformer Part 2, and I am not traditionally a Mirror Universe fan, but those two episodes from this last season of Discovery, I think were phenomenal. It really made me love the Mirror Universe a whole lot more. So fingers crossed. I really want to see Michelle Yao sooner rather than later again only thing that i mean of course we'll admit up front we're 100 like totally just speculating based off of nothing the only thing that makes me think if that were the case is it would be a shame that it was not 
Bo Young Kim and Erica Lippolt, who are, as far as we know, still planning to be the showrunners for what will become the Section 31 show, if they do decide to make that pivot to a movie. But you're right. I mean, you know, Michelle Yao's a movie star. And if there's one thing that Star Trek has always struggled with a little bit, it's that kind of movie star power. In the Kelvin Timeline movies, we got Eric Banner and Benedict Cumberbatch and Idris Elba, but we've never had, you know, Christopher Lloyd and Christopher Plummer. Like, do they really count? No. Alice Krieger? No. Malcolm McDowell? No. Even Ricardo Mondeblan was a, you know, big TV star, but he wasn't necessarily like a big movie star. Not had a big movie star. And Michelle Yeoh's a pretty big movie star. I mean, she's been in a lot of, you know, really like top dollar, you know, box office productions. You got it. You might as well use her. And especially if, you know, this has not been hinted, but a lot of people have theorized that part of the challenge around getting the Section 31 show off of the ground, in addition to the fact that Pike and Spark and Number One was so popular, they were like, oh, well, Strangely Worlds, no brainer, let's go with that, is that it's been quite challenging to find time in Michelle Yao's schedule because she's in, I think it's Shang-Chi, you know, one of the Marvel movies that she's been shooting. She's in all kinds of projects and easier to find time on her schedule for a movie than it would be for a television show. Absolutely. So my theory this week is a listener submission. This one comes from Joshua Messenger at D-E-S-I-D-E-R-I-U-M-R-E-X. Desiderium-Rex. Sorry, Joshua, from Joshua Messenger, (laughs) whose theory is that Star Trek Prodigy will be set in the Delta Quadrant. I think partially based off of the sort of fairly well-founded assumption, I think, of the picture that we've seen of Star Trek Prodigy and those main characters. One of them looks suspiciously like a Talaxian. I really like this theory. I think it has the obvious Janeway tie-in. One of my theories, and I might have talked about this a couple of episodes ago, was that the ship that these teenagers find is stranded and Janeway is back on like Earth because she's an admiral and so has a sub space link up to the ship and they come on the ship and then they start talking to Admiral Janeway and like whoever the crew was who was on that ship had disappeared and she tries to get the teens who are actually on the ship to kind of help her kind of figure out how to get them back and rescue them and that's how they learn to be like you know good people and come away with all these great lessons and I think in the books and of course books not canon but you know you could pick and choose little stories and ideas from them and you know choose to do what you want with them. Admiral Janeway leads a fleet of ships back to the Delta quadrant for like more exploration right after Voyager returns to Earth there's then this new mission and project and it's to do with the Borg and there's way too much complicating detail behind it I'll just say it's to do with the Borg so they head back to the Delta quadrant as part of this fleet and it's sort of a Starfleet sanctioned mission and they use slipstreams they can obviously get there very quickly and I think something like that would be really cool because it's very much in that sort of Voyager milieu and so Janeway's involvement in it becomes you know really obvious and really well grounded it also allows you to you know because the star trek.com article about prodigy had said that over the course of the series the teens would sort of learn more about starfleet and the federation which if it was sort of set within you know the alpha or beta quadrant i think you would look at that and go well why do they need to do that because surely they're right in the midst of i mean the federation is not that far away but if you're all the way in the delta quadrant and it's just this one ship and like your subspace relay conversations with admiral janeway or you know whatever the pathfinder thing they did was in season six and seven 
7 and itinerant pulsar and tachyon pulses or whatever the techno babble was then you could theoretically be like look they're off in the middle of nowhere and they'll you know over time learn more about this starfleet thing and then eventually you know at the end of season two a bunch of new staff fleet ships finally show up to like rescue them and then they all decide to go back to the alpha quadrant i love joshua messenger's theory i hope that's what prodigy turns out to be ron what do you think i think it's a great idea i think it's great theory you know you look at these characters that they announce and there's the one that looks taxing but the rest there's no klingon there's no romulan there's no aliens that we're familiar with we know very little about the delta quadrant so we know exactly what voyager saw so i think that makes perfect sense i could absolutely see that do you have a theory or a wish for discovery picard straight New Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share, tweet them to me at Weekly Trek, or email them to me at weeklytrek at thetricordertransmissions.com, and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Ron Robel, for joining me today. Ron, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Thank you for having me this evening. Uh, anyone can follow me on Twitter. I'm tr- at TrekkerRon. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we will be seeing each other at Star Trek Las Vegas this year, if it goes ahead, or if not, Maybe one of the other creation conventions later in the year, perhaps, if we're back in a position to do that. Or Ticonderoga. It's up there. (laughs) Or Ticonderoga. It is up there. Well, you could find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Ron. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. 